not what we have done, but what Christ has done for us. Um, the goal that I have this morning is for you to see the grace of God in the Christmas story. Um, through the scriptures I have chosen, um, John, in his gospel, has a very different way of presenting the Christmas story than you will see in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. So let's open in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for fulfilling the prophecy of, of a Savior that you promised to us from the beginning of time. Through your word today, help us to understand the true meaning of Christmas, the true gifts that you give us through the birth of your Son, and the miracles that occurred. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. I've wanted to uh, give a message uh, during the Christmas season for some time, and I would like to thank the pastors for giving me that opportunity today. Um, and through the word, um, the, through the lessons today, um, uh, these were actually assigned for Christmas Day. So if you look at the lectionary for in the Lutheran Church, you'll see these scriptures for Christmas Day. But a number of years ago, I was at my mother's church on Christmas, um, and her minister made that comment that has stuck, stuck with me for some number of years. Uh, it's it's what, we have, what we have, not what we have done, but what Christ has done for us. As you see later, this statement actually comes from the book of Titus. And when I think of these words, I also think of Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. They come to mind. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourself, but it's a gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. This is a fact that we see in other religions or, or in our world today, um, where we're, we're all about oneself. We see this in Hinduism, Buddhism, and even Judaism. Um, this is probably a tough theology uh, for the early Jewish Christians to understand, that they had, they had been taught to obey the law, and this was, was the way to their salvation. But with the birth of Jesus Christ, this all changed for them, and it also changed for us. So my goal here is to sort of pull everything together from our Old Testament reading, the epistle, and finally the gospel. So if you want to turn in your pew Bibles, it's on uh, page 1445, is where you'll find uh, Micah verses five, uh, chapter 5, verses 2 to 5. We often become too familiar with the Christmas story and forget about the true meaning of Christmas and the promises that were made to the Jewish people and us today. So let's start by looking at the Old Testament reading from Micah. This was the Old Testament prophecy uh, of the birth of Jesus, specifically where he would be born. Uh, the same passage that was actually quoted in Matthew as well. Um, if you were downstairs for Sunday school, we talked about this. Um, the Magi were searching for Jesus, the baby Jesus, and they came to Herod, and Herod didn't know. So Herod um, had the Jewish scholars find out where this baby Jesus would be born. Um, the Jewish scholars um, found this passage from Micah. Um, but they, after they told the Magi, they simply ignored it. And, uh, but this also made Herod very jealous, as we know later on in Matthew. So let's look at uh, verse 2. And we see that Jesus will come from Bethlehem. But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, Jesus would come from Bethlehem, not Jerusalem or some other prominent city within Judah, but from Bethlehem. He also came from common parents. He didn't come from royalty, um, kings and, or, and queens uh, of the time. We also see that he would be a ruler. 
For out of you will come from me one who will be ruler over Israel. That is, Christ will be rule for God the Father. Origins from old. Jesus' beginnings were much earlier than, than, than his human birth. Whose origins are from old, from ancient times. John 8, 58 says, Very truly I tell you, Jesus answered, Before Abraham was born, I am. And this will correlate very well with what we see in the Gospel of John later on. Jesus was there uh, during the known history of the Bible and even from eternity. In 2 Samuel 7, verses 12 to 16, we read, When your days are over, you will rest on your ancestors. I will raise up an offspring to succeed you, your own flesh and blood. I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my, for my name, and I will establish a throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father, and he will be my son. When he does wrong, I will punish him with the rod welded by men, with flogging inflicted by human hands. But my love will never be taken away from him, as I have taken away from Saul, whom I removed from before you. Your house and your kingdom will endure forever before for me. Your throne will be established forever. We read in verse 4 that the Messiah will shepherd and rule in strength and majesty of God the Father. This will become more clear in, in John as well. In verse 5, I find this very interesting. We talk about peace. Uh, Micah uses this word peace too. And a lot of times at Christmas time, we use the word peace, joy. And it's in here in Micah as well. And, and he will be our peace. Jesus is our peace. In Ephesians 2, 14, For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. So if you want to turn to Titus, um, so on page 1859, chapter 3, verses 4 to 7. At Christmas time, uh, the fathers, we see Father's love for us. The reason God did not banish the fallen man but acted to save him. Our Father sent the Son of Man to be born on Christmas. We see the reason for this in Titus 2.11. For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation for all people. He did this out of love. The Greek word for love here is philanthropia, love of mankind. And we read this in John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. And our sermon title comes from the, the first part of verse 5. He saves us not because of righteous things we have done, but because of his mercy. Salvation is not achieved by human effort or merit, but it comes from, the, from God's mercy alone. For, we continue reading in verse 5. He saved us through the washing and rebirth and renewal of the Holy Spirit. Baptism is a means of our rebirth, a means by which the Holy Spirit produces us faith as a gift of God. All because of God's mercy and peace, grace. The Lord's Supper and the Word are also means of grace by which the Holy Spirit works in our hearts. In 1 Peter 3, verse, verse 21, the water symbolizes baptism that now saves you also, not the removal of dirt from your body, but the pledge of clear conscience towards God. It saves you by the resurrection of Christ. And finally, in verse 7, we read, so that... Having been justified by grace, we might become heirs, having the, the hope of eternal life. This is the miracle that we will explore later in John. But by grace, we have become children of God. And Jesus prepared a place for us in heaven.
So now let's turn to uh, John, it'll be on page 1645 in your, in your Bibles. As I mentioned earlier, John's Christmas story is, is much different than we read in the other Gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Um, it was probably written after the other Gospels were written and was intended to supplement what the other Gospels had said. Uh, John had a different purpose here in, in his Gospel. And it was written to appeal to not only the Jews, but also the Greeks of the time, the Gentiles. And John's purpose is cruelly written in his gospel, so that he uses quite often through his, his gospel. He says, so that we might believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that by believing you may have life in his name. He repeats this over and over again uh, numerous times in his gospel. In the beginning was the Word. Um, this recalls the first verse of Genesis. John starts out his gospel the same way he start, we start out the Bible. The very first uh, verse of the Bible, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. What John is saying is that the one he calls the Word existed even before the world began. The Word was God and the Word was God. Here is the mystery of our inner relationship with the Holy Trinity, the Word. As we know, in, in retrospect, referring to Christ or Jesus here in this, in this verse, is the eternal Son of God, the second person of the Trinity. The Word was with God, so we might, so we might call a face-to-face -face relationship with God the Father. And yet, at the same time, this one called the Word was God. That is, He is divine true God in his very nature. The Greek word that St. John uses for the word is logos. He is borrowing a, a term from the Greek thought and putting it into use in a new way. The Greek philosophers thought that logos as a, as a unifying principle holding the universe together, uh, which gives it order. Um, this is sort of different than what John is trying to tell. So John takes this, that term and transforms it and tells us that, that ho what holds the universe together is not that principle that the Greeks were trying to um, determine and, and put out there, but a person. If it is the one he's called Logos, the Word. It is the person of the Trinity, distinct from the Father and yet one with the Father in the Godhead. He who creates and organizes and upholds all things. With God was God. The Word was distinct from the Father in the fullest sense. In Romans 9, 5, we read, Theirs are the patriarchs, and from them is traced the human ancestry of the Messiah, who is God over all, forever praised. Amen. The divinity of Christ is being emphasized here. Christ has always been true God. From eternity, he is the one and only Son of the Father. But you know, in the third century of the church, the teaching of this scripture about the divinity of Christ was being threatened by a heresy called Adriism, which is the wrongly thought that there was a time when he was not. In other words, the Arians thought that Christ was merely a created being, so he wasn't the true son of God. So the Council of Nicaea put together a beautiful confession of the first person of Christ. The only begotten Son of God, begotten of the Father before our wolves. God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father, by whom all things were made. And note that by whom all things were made, here we are talking about Christ. 
and that by him all things were made. It was exactly what the text is saying in John. So this relates back to John. All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. And then what does the Nicene Creed go on to say? Who for us men and for our salvation came down from heaven and was incarnate in the Holy Spirit of the Virgin Mary and was made man. Here is the miracle of Christmas. As John puts it, the world became flesh and dwelt among us. The eternal Son of God, by whom all things were made, he became incarnate. That is, he became flesh in that little babe of Bethlehem. So why is God the Father doing this? Why is he sending his Son into the world? So that we may have life, which is the one of the greatest concepts of the gospel. Because of Jesus' birth and resurrection, we have life. Life is a gift from Christ, and he is the life. John 10, 28 says, I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish, but the one who snatches them out of, of, of my hand. John 14, 16 says, Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He gave the right to become the children of God. Membership in God's family is by grace alone, a gift of God. Again, I read Ephesians 2, 8, 9. For it's by grace you have been saved through faith. It's not, your own, it's not from yourself. It's from a gift of God, not by works that no one can boast. It has never been a human achievement, as emphasized in verse 13 of Ephesians. Children born not of, of John, not born of natural descent, nor born of human decision or, or a husband, will, will, but born of God. There are two miracles in John's gospel for us today. The first was that the Son of God became man. The second Christmas miracle is that we become children of God. John tells us about that too. But to all who, but to all who did receive him, that is, those who received Christ by faith, to all who receive him, who believe in this name, he gave the right to become the children of God, who were born not of blood, nor will or of flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. Christmas is not about the Son of Man being born as a man, but also about the sons of men being born as children of God. Two great miracles for the price of one. And with that price, you too, to you, is absolutely free. It's all about God's grace. It's a free gift of God. Not only was Christ born and lived and died and rose again for our Savior, now the second miracle is that God gives you faith to believe in him for your salvation. And through the faith in Christ, you and I become children of God. Not by what we have done, but what Christ has done for us. Let's close in prayer. Almighty God, you have poured out us the new light of your incarnate word. Grant us this light and kindle us in our hearts. May shine forth in our lives. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you, in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen.